Hi, and welcome to the Young Family Small Business Podcast, the show that deep dives into conversations with experts in small business, raising a young family, or are shining examples of mastery in both. My name is Ben Walker, and I'm the founder of Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants, and the host of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants. We've worked with thousands of business owners since we started in 2013, and we're best known for saving our client base a total of $17 million in tax and counting. For every dollar of tax we proactively save a small business, Inspire donates a day worth of access to life-changing food, water, health, or sanitation services to a family in need. If you're interested in speaking with an accountant to see how we could help your business, head to inspire.business forward slash chat. My next guest is long-term client and friend uh, of Inspire, uh, Mr. Steve Clark. Uh, Steve is the founder and owner of the EnviroSmart Group a manufacturer of spill response products, secondary containment, and stormwater and flood management products. He's built a business based in his, literally his garage in Brisbane and, and taken it to the world um, with offices in Perth, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, really, really interesting story. And I love um, having known Steve for a number of years, uh, loves the, um, the passion he's got for um, looking after his family, but also uh, the entrepreneurial spirit and, and ideas he has and, and products he builds in his everyday work. So uh, I think we've got tons to work, um, tons to learn from Steve, uh, including his flair for accounting. So, mate, I, um, I really loved our chat and um, and thanks so much. I hope our audience gets uh, quite a few gems from it. Thank you. G'day, Steve. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast uh, this afternoon, actually, from recording. Uh, good to have you here. Thanks, Ben. Good to see you. Awesome. Well, I love you to share a bit about your family. It's the first question we usually ask and um, yep. yeah, give us that context. Okay. Immediate family. I'm married. I uh, have been married now for coming up on 20 years. It's 20 years early next year. And I've got a 17-year-old son who is 17 yesterday and a 12-year-old who thinks he's 21 <laughs> <laughs> and oh. a comedian and, and he thinks he's a comedian. There we go. Just like his father. Yes. <laughs> um, and, he, he hates it if you say that, by the way. Uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> no, I'm not like my dad. <laughs> and um, what do you do as a family together to, um, yeah, what do you like to do to just, you know? yeah, we, um, yeah, we're a pretty close, tight knit family, to be honest. We like spending a lot of time together. So it's not like we're, you know, four ships in the night. We, we do spend a lot of time together. Both of my kids, are gamers, which is like to spend a bit of time online, which is frustrating as a parent, but it's not what we used to do. But I guess it's a brave new world, isn't it? We enjoy getting out on the water. So we get out on the water as much as we can. Uh, we got ourselves a boat last year when we came, just after we came back from, not uh, probably a year after we got back to Australia. And we, again, we try and get out in the water a fair bit, otherwise see family. And we, we're not a, uh, we don't do anything too, anything too exciting. Yeah. And no, there you go. No, that's, that's fair enough. And what, what games do they play? Well, my oldest is, um, you know, it's crazy, but he still likes that Minecraft. He does play other games, but he, he's he's really big into it. And and I can't keep up with my youngest on the latest game that he's playing. And he's, you know, yelling and screaming at the computer and, you know, but that's kids and, uh, and they love it. And But, you know, they're not glued to it 24-7. They're not addicted, uh, fortunately. And they've really started, particularly in 
coming into this summer, they've really taken to getting out on the water with us as well. And uh, we do a bit of jet skiing on top of the boat. So, well, not on the jet skis, not on the boat, but, you know, the as well as boating. So we'll, we'll take them out together. And so, and they love that and, and just hanging out. So, um, you know, that we, we, yeah, we're a bit of a tight family unit. We've traveled a lot over the years and through their life and, and we love to travel. And obviously COVID's affected that, but we've uh, turned that travel passion into probably about being on the water. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And 20 years with uh, Karen, um, yep. what are some of your tips to uh, maintaining a, a healthy relationship with your spouse? Jeez, that's a loaded question. I've got to be careful what I say, don't I? No, look, I, I, look, I, I always say to people, and I, you know, not that I talk about it too much, but you know, if somebody was to ask, I, I'd say just working at it. It's not always going to be perfect. And I also think that I got really, really lucky. And I'm not saying that to win brownie points. I, I just think both Karen and I got really lucky in that we got somebody that uh, we share common core values and we like similar things and we believe in each other and in our abilities and and we allow each other to um, do what we do best. And and I, but we really work hard at it. You know, we don't take it for granted and we do work hard at it. And um, I, I think I'm really lucky. Yeah. Awesome stuff. And just doing the maths on it. So you, you were with Karen when you started the business? Yeah, yeah, mate. I, well, no, I was actually doing the business before I met Karen. So I was already in this industry in a previous adaptation of the business and a previous business with a business partner. And I was doing that uh, when I met Karen um, and I was working part-time in hospitality. So that's the way I started the previous business with a partner is that, you know, there wasn't the money to go around. And uh, so I would work nights in hospitality and in particular, I'd work in nightclubs. And, um, and for years and years and years, I did that. So I'd work five nights a week and work five days a week and sort of try and balance the two. And that was how I'd pay to get by while I started my business. I didn't have a lot of cash and the backing. So I, <clears throat> I had to do it the hard way. And, and that's what I did. And, and in that, I met Karen and Karen was a nurse. And so that, it kind of worked in, in the sense that she had shift work and I was working shift with work, if you like. And, and so our lives sort of, it, it sort of worked. And, and then eventually, was doing well enough in business, so I was able to give away the the nightclubs and and just focus on the business. And of course, once you burn that bridge and once you you you're not spending place doing a million different things, yeah, you know that's kind of when the growth started. Yeah, great. There you go. That's a that's a nice uh, probably a nice learning for people. Mm. Um, you got to be in a position to do that, right? You can't you can't just say, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw caution to the wind." I mean, you can, but you know, I, I you got to do it. I had a you know we were you know, we were getting married and, you know, you've got to be, you've got bills to pay and you've got to be responsible. So you just got to do what's got to get done. But at the same time, I wanted to build this business and I was building it. it was, there was growth, there was opportunity, and I could see down the track that this was going to be good for us. And, and so I did what it took. And what it took was to, you know, not do what I went to uni for, university for, but to, to get into business. And although I did a business degree, getting into this was more about instead of being working in a profession like you, I, I decided I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to do this with my business. And um and so I didn't have a bucket full of money and rich parents. So I had to I had to do it the hard way. And but I in a lot of ways I think that's what actually made me strong. Mm. That, and that's that's probably what got me through the there's a lot of ups and downs in business and uh there's going to be some challenging times. And if it came to you Came to it comes to you easy. I I think it's going to be really hard to see through those difficult times if you got it easy. It, it's it went by doing it tough at the beginning. It you prove to yourself that you want it, 
And so when the times are tough in the future, when things come up, you do what it takes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, awesome. And, and I think you skipped over a couple of things there, or and, and I think we're missing maybe some some context for the audience. But <laughs> could could you share, firstly, the the degree that you studied at the, the detail of that? Do you really I, want me to? <laughs> yep. And I know you I know you downplay a bit, but I think it's actually a strength that helps you in business. And yeah. then also to share what business you run and, and sort of the the examples of some products that you you sell. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, okay. Where do we start? Um, school went to one, um, (laughs) couldn't afford to, couldn't afford to, uh, go straight to university. Uh, so I went and worked for a bank for five years and that was interesting. Gave me a lot of, uh, financial education about stuff and banking and, you know, money and, and stuff like that. It taught me one of the most valuable lessons that came out of working five years in a bank Mm. was I was, a I think anyway, was I was working as a, as a teller. I remember the biggest job I did as a teller was was back when they had those, was at the Ipswich branch of the National Australia Bank. And it was back in those days, there was a lot of cash went through there. Yep. And um, and it was funny, you know, I was a you know, 19 years old, no money in his pocket, you know, and you you're scratching around the drawer for change to go and buy your toasted sandwich for lunch. And the funny thing is you might have had hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever it was sitting in front of you, mm. but that was like monopoly money, but the money that was the same money, but it was different money because it was in my wallet in the top drawer of my desk that was outside the teller's little thing. And so that was real money, but the money that was I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis, even though it was the same thing, I didn't see it as the same thing. And it was one of the old banking people told me that. And people that saw that money as being money were the ones that would maybe trip and fall or do the wrong thing or get confused. And I, I never got confused. I was lucky. And maybe it was one of those old guys that you work with back in the day. And I saw that as something else like monopoly money. And I saw this over here as my money. And I see that that then transferred into business. You know, when your business grows, you might at different times have a bit of money in the bank, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's yours. It's the business's money and the business has got to pay its tax. It's got to pay the bills. It's got to be whatever. And I saw different friends of mine and people I know and whatever, and different examples of people that got confused between the money in their bank when times were good, or there just happens to be that time when money was in your account. And they'd go spend it on things that they shouldn't spend it on personally, and then not have the money for their tax or not have their money to buy stock or grow their business. And you know, that lesson I learned from the bank then transferred over into, into my business where I, I might look at my bank balance one day and it might be awful. And then the next day it might be big and good. And wow, look at that. And aren't I rich? But I don't actually see that as money. I do, of course, but I, but I don't see it as my money to go spend. It's the business's money to spend on business bills and what's right for the business. And it's a separately, literally it is a separate legal entity and it's separate. It's not mine. And that's why, as you and I know, we don't get into a, a Division 7A issue or something like that. You know. So anyway, I went from there and I went to a um, I went to uni, I went to QT and got a Bachelor of Business and I did an accounting major. And, um, and I left school, when I left university, I thought I was going to become a stockbroker. I thought I was going to be fancy. And, and I got a job as in that sort of event with a trustee company doing that sort of work for the, the first year after I left university. Mm. And it was in 91, I think it was 91, and it was when the Iraq war was happening, the first one. Keating was having the recession we had to have. All of those things were going on. I only lasted a year before me and a couple of other fellows were shown the door. And, um, and I'd paid my way through university because I didn't have people and parents and money to just pay for me. I had to pay for myself. 
Uh, so work on my way through uni. And then, uh, so, you know, there's nowhere to go. Had to do something. So I dusted off myself and went back to nightclubs. And uh, because, I, you know, half the people I went to my university with didn't have jobs. It was really tough times. I mean, I haven't seen tougher times since then, you know, and I don't think when we go through the GSC in Australia, we go through stuff that we've been going through over the last couple of years. I don't think it was as bad as what we saw then. Interest rates were high. It was crazy. So I went back to nightclubs and I fell on my feet working at a club in the city called City Rowers, which was, and I started back there in the early 90s. I'd, I'd worked there when it first opened in the late 80s. And I ended up spending 10 years there and I got a bit lost. <laughs> How do you say lost? Um, in a polite way. I, mate, it was um, it was the biggest thing in the nineties, and anybody that might be listening that might have been that uh, that era, <clears throat> it was very popular. And I was full time there um, for most of that decade, and it was you were the king of the castle, and it was good to be the king. And uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time, made a lot of friends, and really nice, you know, people from sporting Australian teams and Olympic teams, and famous people, but you know, normal people are just. I made it was an amazing time, and but during the second half of the nineties, uh, an old friend of mine from school, he said, "Look, you got a couple of days a week at the beginning of the week where you're not doing anything. Why don't you give me a bit of a hand with this product that I've managed to pick up the Queensland distributorship for? And it, it it's an absorbent that picks up oil spills when there's a road accident or something like that. It's like a powdery product." Yeah. And I said, "Oh yeah, I'll give you a hand. Yeah, that sounds like because I was I was business, you know, I wanted to be in business, but I." I decided out that year working with the suits that I didn't want to become one again. I didn't want to do that again. And, but I obviously was very entrepreneurial. I had all sorts of things going on. I was managing bands and I was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And I just, so obviously I was going to be headed for being entrepreneurial. So I, I, I thought, oh yeah, this looks really interesting. I'm going to have a go at this. And, and I, I gave my mate a hand and within a couple of years, I was, you know, as typical of me, I, Mate, why are we bringing this product and you know, buying off this crowd that are bringing this product in from America? I can make that product here. I reckon if I did this, this, and this, we could do that. And sure enough, that's what I did. And uh, tried to convince my mate to come with me. He didn't. I went off and did my own thing. And pretty quickly, he got, uh, it ended up that he, he lost his distributorship and he came and joined me. And we were in business together for about four years. And I, in that time, I'd got out of nightclubs towards the end of that time. And we built the business enough that we could make a good living. Unfortunately, my mate decided that Lots of different stuff that happens, and I don't want to go through all the the ins and outs of it of all people. But businesses sometimes have partnership breakdowns, and that happened for us. And um, you know, it's funny how you know you feel vindic, you know, you feel um, victimized, vindicated. Well, I don't know what the word is you feel at the time. There's mm. all sorts of emotions, but when 20 years later, you probably look at it a little bit more reflective and uh, now, and maybe the things I did wrong and I could have done better. But but either way, I I was. There was a bit of a coup when I ended up outside and outside Ooh. the tent. And, uh, and, you know, but I had a good rapport with the customers that we developed and I was the one that developed the products and everything else. And anyway, I was about to get married to Karen and, you know, that was pretty awkward to go and tell your fiance that here I am, you know, doing really well and well, doing okay in this business. And, and then all of a sudden I got nothing. And uh, it was a pretty hard conversation and, and with her family and with her and I, Anyway, I was encouraged by a bunch of the customers or the distributors we had around the place to get back into it. And so I did. And at first, I just wanted to be as big as the business I'd left, right? That was my only goal. And I could, I could see at that point, I could do well, obviously make double what I was making before because I didn't have to have a partner. And uh, I thought, hey, look, I can, I can do this. I'm going to do this. I can do that. They 
there was a few things that happened and ended up that I had to, instead of being able to get somebody to make my product, which is what we did in our old business model, I had to make it myself. Yep. So I ended up in a little tin shed at Brendale. And I remember it was 600 bucks a week. And I just got married and I was getting married and I had no money and everything was going to the wedding and whatever else. And six, 600 bucks a week. No, 600 bucks a month. It wasn't even 600 bucks a week. And I, I don't know if I slept for a month. I was so stressed about signing a lease for three years for 600 bucks a month. I mean, I just, you know, it's, um, it was really scary and jumping in the deep end, I, any assets and cars and anything I had at the time I'd sold or got rid of or borrowed against to go and get the equipment I needed to start making product myself mm. instead of having other people making it move just a, a front end, but I did. And it was scary. And there's, there was times there when I couldn't get the machinery to work and I couldn't make it happen. And I remember, this is out of Brenda on the north side of Brisbane, and I remember sitting there on a bulker bag of, I don't know what it was, some one of the raw materials, and I couldn't get the machines. And they're all farm equipment that I'd bought and um, trying to paste together to make something and, uh, and, and put it together. I couldn't make it work. And I, I was, you know, I was, I was at a pretty low point, you know, I'd spent everything I had. And I remember, you know, tears welling up and all that sort of stuff and couldn't figure it out. I said, look, I'm going to go home. Yeah, this is late afternoon. I'm going to go home. Tomorrow's another day. Something will happen. And so I went home and didn't sleep much, but came back to work the next day. And the next day, a mate of mine, he was actually my groomsman at the time he, he came in, and he came in with this bloke called Ross. And um, Ross was an old farmer and um, from down in Northern Rivers area. He was just hanging out with Jason that day, and they came in just to visit to say good day. And yeah. um and I couldn't make this thing work. And I couldn't make the, the product was bridged, what they call bridging, which means it wouldn't flow through the, the, the hopper. And, and I just couldn't figure it out. And um, Ross goes, walks in and he goes, oh, mate, I haven't seen one of these for hours. Where'd you pick this up from? And, you know, the conversation went along those lines. And he was, I said, mate, I can't work it out. I don't know what I'm doing. And, uh, and Ross walked over and he says, well, you've, got, you've turned this the wrong way, you clown. And, you know, in a nice way. And, and he's going, duh, 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 and it worked. Wow. Mate, now, if I had given up the day before, Yep. I wouldn't have what I have today. Jeez. And I look back at partnership breakup that I had with that guy. I was the junior partner, if you like. And, you know, I didn't have all the decisions. It wasn't going to become what I've made my business today because I couldn't make those decisions, those entrepreneurial crazy decisions. And I would probably, if he hadn't have done that, I'd still probably be the junior partner of his business much smaller than what I've got now. If Ross hadn't turned, if Jason hadn't brought Ross along that day, I wouldn't have got that machine working. I probably may have given up. There's been all those, I think they call them thin threads, mm. which get you through to the next day at these very low points where you just want to give up. But every time one of those things happening, signing a lease for 600 bucks a month when you just, you know, don't know how that, how, how can you get that much money? This is a long time ago, 20 years ago, but you get through it. But every time you do that, you get stronger and you can take more. So the next time that something happens, you're stronger and it builds up a great word called resilience and it, it just builds up your resilience to be able to get through those tough times. Nowadays, the tough times are generally more about staff, you know, in the, in the early days of the business. So anyway, I started back out my own business and, and I just wanted to be bigger than my old mate's business and that happened pretty quickly and within a few years and, and um, or what I thought his business was. And then we just wanted to be that next milestone and that next milestone and the next one. And we just, we kept hitting them. And, you know, we went from just being a handful of products to being hundreds of products. And, you know, we went from being that tiny shed to, I think it was about 
150 or 180 square meters or something to I think we you know might have about 3,000 meters or something yeah. now and and so between them all yeah. yeah and so you mentioned a couple of hundred products what what um uh, what sort of sections of what you do are they in and first firstly maybe sort of start with oh I tell you the business yes sorry yeah. well there's a couple of businesses but the business I'm talking about that I started back 20 years ago. Um, or thereabouts, um, is of a business called EnviroSmart. Mm. So um, quick, cheap, shameless plug here, www.envirosmart.com.au. And um, we manufacture environmental products. So I'm that guy that makes all those environmental products that we use in day-to-day businesses use, people use to clean up the environment or to stop pollution for the environment and do all those good, friendly environmental things. So it doesn't make me a greenie. It makes me an environmental capitalist, but, but somebody's got to make those products and somebody's got to be the business guy that invents and uh, develops and R&Ds, those sort of products. So it started out with that absorbent that, you know, you used to use once upon a time and sometimes they still do a thing called kitty litter, which you, you'd sprinkle on a road, a spill on the road, you know, if there was an accident or something. But these days, you know, around Southeast Queensland where we are, you see it on the paper when the Courier Mail runs a photo of some car accident, you'll see this brown fibrous looking stuff that is on the ground at that car accident. Well, that's my product. And so, or most cases anyway. So that was my very first product. It was a product I've developed back in that partnership or before that partnership. And it's a product that's still our biggest selling product today. It comes in various forms. So we don't only, and there's about half a dozen different uh, formulas now that are slightly changed uh, and different formers. Our original product, still our original product and still our biggest selling product. But we now, we're that um, white label guy. So you know how there's SBC baked beans? I don't know if there's SBC baked beans, but there's one one brand of baked beans and that same guy then goes and makes his competitors baked beans. He makes the Woolworths ones and the Coles ones. Mm. Well, I'm that guy for environmental products. So mm. I not only make my own, but uh, a good portion of the brands that people will know out in that spill control area, a lot of those products actually are made in my factory and we make them for our competitors. And we don't sell direct to the end public and the end user, but we sell through distributors, which we have all over Australia and overseas. And we sell it through them. And and that's our brand that we sell through our distributors, but we also make our competitors products too. So not all our competitors, but a good good portion of them. So um and so it's instead of just being that that what's called a, a spill smart floor sweep, instead of just that product, we now do most of them and then we, well, I don't know about most, but probably. And then um, we do, when you go to the service station, you see the spill kit in the corner. Well, yeah. I make all the stuff that goes in that and make those spill kits. Yeah, those wheelie bins and the bags and things like that. Yeah. We make all those booms that go around ships and if there's a, an oil spill or something. But you'll also see at construction sites where there might be widening the road, dredging something, building a canal development, they have silk curtains. We make miles and miles of that stuff. And, uh, and is we that make, like, I kind of see it, um, you kind of see it at a few places, like if, you, if they're subdividing a block of land or building something, they, they've got some sort of sheet in wooden, with wooden pegs into the ground. Yeah, that's called a silk fence and everybody imports that and it's just one of those cheap Chinese products. And, that's, and we do supply that, but it's not something we make. So it's more the big technical stuff where you might be on a watercourse and it's in a canal or it's in the bay or it's in wherever it is and it's got a float at the top and then there's a big curtain that goes down and a chain is ballast in the bottom. So we make a ton of that. We right. make- um, Down to the ground or down 10, 15? So, yeah, it depends on the, on the job, whether it's uh, you know, a couple of metres or it might be you know, all the way down. It just depends. We also make a lot of um, things to go into stormwater drains to collect all the rubbish and stuff. You see that you know, they've popped up on 
on Facebook and, you know, gone viral at different times. Uh, some of our competitors' products, I don't think ours ever have, but, you know, there's inserts that go into um, stormwater drains to collect all the rubbish instead of going to our creeks and rivers and things that along the way, you know, gross pollutant traps and nets at the end to catch the rubbish and all that sort of stuff. So we do all of that. A lot of stuff to do with silt and erosion control. We've just got a new product coming out at the moment in that area, uh, which is quite exciting. Uh, what else do we do? But a lot of stuff around spill control and secondary containment. So we do these big, what they call portable bunding. So bunding that is a secondary containment for oils and chemicals and things so that if the drum was to break, it doesn't go anywhere. So it's all in that environmental space. We make all of that stuff. We make it here in Brisbane and we're Australian manufacturer and that has its challenges. And then, um, so it wasn't that one product that I was trying to make in that shed when I left my mate or it's, it's now lots and lots and lots of products. We are, also have a, a couple of other companies, but the main one is um, uh, Everything Water and it does um, wastewater treatment. So not talking about poo plants. We're talking about so much domestic car washes, you know, the servo or something or car lovers, but um, more big truck washes for mining and coal seam gas, underbody washes for weed and seed control. Yeah, that big stuff, you know, where they're trying to wash those big mining trucks. We take all that dirty, muddy, oily water and give you back you know, and it processes, it takes all that stuff out and gives you back clean water. They can recycle to go and wash more trucks. And, you know, so we're not using and destroying good water because we're, we're, we are the driest planet around. So we're, you know, so we can recycle that water. So it's all about being environmentally friendly. It's about coming up with, you know, know what? It's funny, you know, people have got, you know, especially the kids, you know, everybody wants to be environmentally friendly, right? You know, but as long as it's not going to cost me anything and as long as it's easy. So it's my job to make it cost effective and easy. It's, cool. it's, my, it's my job to make it that it's actually just as easy to do the right thing than it is yeah. to do the wrong thing and to teach people how to do that and provide the products at a cost effective price and develop those products as easy as they can be done so that people will do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Yeah. Imagine like that, so, something like a truck wash, if you've got to get water out, out west somewhere. Uh, hard, that, yeah. That's going to be very expensive, but if you can get get a, a load out there to fill up the, whatever you've created there, and um, and it reuses most of it, that must. Um... And it's not just the new water; it's also getting rid of the old water, right? So yeah. yeah, so if you've got dirty, oily water, and you've got to get rid of it, that's, there's a cost to that. You've got to get waste contractors to take that away. So there's a big cost with that as well. Mm. So um, you know, I don't want to mention any clients because you know that, that's their business, but. You know, we've got some pretty big names and, and the big issue is it's not just using new water because you can, might be collecting that off the roof or whatever, but it's, it's the getting rid of the waste. It's getting rid of that dirty water. And um, so that can actually be cheaper to buy the capital equipment to do that than it is to pay the ongoing costs of getting rid of that dirty wastewater. Yeah. So, but it all fits into that same spot, right? It's all about the environment. It's about Silt and erosion is about spills. It's about containment. It's about it's anything to do with the environment. So we're the guy in Australia that makes that stuff. Yep. And I know you've given us some uh, some tips earlier on uh, when you were mentioning about uni and and how that. Uh, oh, sorry, when you're at the bank and and how that applies to how you run your business from a cash flow perspective, which is good. Yep. The underlying accounting hint, hints back then. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a book um, I, I I read too called Cashed Up, and it's it's pretty uh, good. Like called Ben Walker is a pretty good author. Yeah. <laughs> Get into that one. Yeah. Ching. Ah, dear. But could you sort of walk us through where, where have you got to now? And, um, and, and maybe like, I know there's some sort of sensitive numbers that you, you probably don't want to share, but you're able to share, like you shared square meters in the, in the warehouse. 
but what about like team size or mm, uh, you know, sure. the offices or locations around Australia if you're happy to? Yeah, no, cool. Yeah, it's, that's been a bit of a lumpy ride, that for us, and made some mistakes, you know, to be honest, at different times and said, I thought that was a good idea to go do that and it probably wasn't a good idea and we've had to be to retreat. And, and regroup and go again. It hasn't always been a win, but there hasn't been massive losses where we've been, you know, whether it's been touch or go. We've always been, you know, pretty good um, on that. We don't throw caution to the wind in the sense of bet everything on black. You know, we, we, it's a very much a, a considered risk um, a management approach to it. But we have um, expanded. We've, we've got a, when we started and I was making that product just after Ross fixed that machine, uh, back 20 years ago, we, you know, I had one part-time guy, Lindsay, who's subsequently passed away, unfortunately, but um, a great guy. And him and I would make the product and I, he'd like to start early. So we'd start real early and we'd make the product to about two. And then I'd go and do the paperwork and try and sell the stuff after that. Then we we ended up with a second person and a third person and Lindsay became full-time and so on and so on. We were probably a team of four or five when we moved out of that building and moved up the road to where we are now. We're in the back half of one of the two buildings we've got where we are now. And and uh, and then we, you know, went to seven or eight and at each level. So, you know, there was managing more than a few people was I had to grow. You know, I had to learn how to manage people. And it's one thing to have be entrepreneurial. And probably my gift is that entrepreneurial thing and being able to see where markets are and develop product and, and do that sort of thing. That's probably where I'm, you know, I've got some skill sets, but then you've and, and I'm good with people. And, you know, so I can sell the passion about our product and everything else. But, you know, running staff, when you're doing a two or three, you can be all mates and you can run it like we're a bunch of mates building a brick wall in the backyard. You know what I mean? But it's once you get above that, you've actually got to be a boss and it's hard and it's hard to transition into that. And that's why so many businesses, I guess, stay at that, you know, less than a handful of people. And it's really hard. And I had to learn some hard lessons to get to that seven or eight and stay at that seven or eight. And then that became a glass ceiling. And then I had to learn a whole bunch of different lessons to build the business to get to 12 to 14. And that was hard. And what, what, was, the, what was the differences in management style or structure of team that, that sort of took you through the like broke that glass ceiling? I really wish I could tell you. And it's not that I don't want to tell you, but there's been so many levels and so many things that I've had to and along the way, I don't know if I can put my finger on it. I know the way I communicated had to be different. I mean, I inspire people and 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 do that sort of stuff, right? I, you know, you can you can sell the dream and come follow me into the abyss. You know, I can do that, and that works on a smaller team. Mm. But you got to change that message when it gets to a bigger one. But then it had to be a bit more about accountability and process. Yeah. And but then to go to twelve or fourteen. You had to have another, that was really hard because you had to have another layer again where I couldn't manage all of them on my own. There had to be processes in place. And so you see all those books in the end of the E-Myth and you go to all those seminars and they talk to you about process and procedure and KPIs and all that stuff. And it's it's just dead set right. I mean, it sounds like such a, a, a bull, am I allowed to say bullshit? Yep. Um, a bullshit thing, but it, it's not. It's it's real. And and through education. And so I've always self-educated. So what I've done is I've gone and, you know, if there's a seminar, at, I'll go to the opening of a door. If there's <laughs> something on to go and learn how to, how to go and be a better business guy, yep. you know, how to do that next level, I'll go to it. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to anybody and I will 
Yeah, and and, because you've got to learn. And because you've got to to manage 12 or 14 people compared to six or seven, you've got to become not a different person. You've got to learn a bunch of skills. You can still be the same person, but you've got to learn a bunch of new skills and, and the way to do things. And so I had to learn that because it didn't come naturally to me. And it's not something that's that accountability management, that managing people on a day-to-day business and holding people accountable is absolutely my biggest weakness. You know, as you know, Ben, I I could tell you, I can have great conversations with you, can't you, about money and, and accounting and, you know, stuff that we tease each other about and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, I, I, you know, I do keep myself abreast of that. I did do a degree in it. So it's, you know, we can have a conversation like that, but I can inspire the team. I can, I can, they'll follow me because I'm working harder than they are, but I'm not that operations manager. That's the general manager. That's just great at holding people accountable. That's just not my, I'm not as great. And I've had to come to terms with that. Now I've been good enough to do it, to get at the business to where it is, but now I'm looking for people that can take that part of the journey over and I use my skills to learn how to manage them if we're going to go to the next level. Now, so I found it really hard at that 12, 14 level because I had 14 level because I had to manage other people to manage other people. And then it became even harder. And so I would bounce back down to 10 and nine, and then I'd go up to 14 and bounce and until I learned enough lessons to break through that glass ceiling. Yep. And then I go through that glass ceiling and I get to the next one, which I reckon was about 18. Yep. And then I, I, I hit that ceiling again. I had to bunch another bunch of lessons. And the next ceiling was 25. Yep. And, and, I, and I think we've got that one right. And, and we're bouncing our head against a brick wall at the moment, trying to go through to that 34, 35, yeah, which okay. is where we need to be. And I'm bouncing around there, learning lessons and okay. bleeding from the glass ceiling I'm banging my head against. But I'm, hey, I'm still out there learning. And I'll, yeah. as you know, Ben, I'll, I'll go to almost anything to try and learn more. And, and that's, as you know, I, I, I even went to entrepreneurial stuff that was going on overseas. And I went to, you know, I've been to all sorts of things, I, you know, and, and I'll join up and I'll learn. And if you're not prepared to do that, you, you don't want to grow. You know, as far as I'm concerned, if you, want, if you want to grow and you want to build a business, unless you've got, you were gifted and born with some amazing skill sets, then you're going to have to, but you're not going to have got every skill set. You get There's going to be stuff that you're not good at. You might be good at managing people differently and better than me and accountability and you're a great people, you know, that day-to-day operational, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you're not going to probably be, not necessarily the case, but you might not be the person that's going to be able to look up and be the visionary that's going to look for the gap in the market, develop that new product um, see where the market, and that's probably where my skills are. And, you know, my weakness is this one. And now we're just, I've been able to learn enough and go through enough to get to that point. But now it's, I need to employ people that know how to do that so I can really focus on what I'm good at. And as Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach, who I was, a, I was part of his 10X program for a while, he used to talk about a thing called unique ability. And you got to work out what unique, unique ability is. And when you've got to those runs on the board and you've got a bit of momentum, you can start focusing on what you're good at. And, uh, and I think that that's where we're trying to get to right now. We've got a few staffing. We're trying to find some staff at the moment. And, uh, and as we put those people in place, that's the next thing for us is, is being, a, and that's where we'll grow, is, is everybody doing what they do best as opposed to doing everything. Uh, there you go. And have you got more, um, more products planned? or you? Sort of- oh, mate, every day. I drive my staff spare. I'm driving, <laughs> I'll, drive, I'll drive home from this. And I'll, I'll see something and I'll come up with something, my fruitcake. And it drives my people, it drives my stuff mad. I've tried to, 
tone it down to not text them every night with my new ideas. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but uh, they've, but no, I'm yeah, no, that's there's never going to be a shortage. That yeah, we've got lots of stuff in the pipe, mate, and we've come up with some really interesting stuff. Um, we've got some stuff that's going to come out. Um, we've got some really really interesting stuff going on. You can only do it though if you've got good people doing the job they have to do and being held accountable and KPI'd and you've got good people in the right spots. If you don't have that, then you get dragged back into the machine, which as you know, over the last year, I've been dragged in the machine a bit. You get back dragged into the machine and you're not doing what I'm good at, which is out the front. So that's part of the journey. And I said, alluded to at the beginning that, you know, eventually in business staff become the biggest issue. And I don't want to be focused on staff because then there's finance and then there's, there's lots of different things. But I remember back in the early days, we just hung out for that order. You know, we just wanted enough orders to get enough money to pay the rent, pay the staff and have a bit of money left over. And we kind of, yeah, sure, we're trying to hit a sales budget and a GP and all that sort of thing. Of course we are. But it's not as much of a focus as it is of my day is managing, when you get bigger numbers, is managing getting the right key people into the right seats. And it becomes more about people management than it does about just looking for that next sale. And so that's also how the businesses changes when you get to the next level. I can't tell you what it's going to look like next because I'm not there yet. Maybe ask me in five years' time. Yeah, no, cool. And I guess our main audience is actually service businesses, uh, but you've got um, additional things to, uh, to worry about being a product, and especially manufacturing. Uh, the, the we do have a service arm uh, um, to our business. So we do. So those wastewater treatment plants, we have a service crew that go around servicing wastewater treatment and you know, truck washers and stuff like that. So we do have service people. So we do have to, but we're only, that's a small part of our business. So it's not something, yeah, we're not so much a service business as much as a product business. Mm-hmm. So I call ourselves a product manufacturer and, and wholesaler. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there you go. And, and, and I guess where, where I was going with that is that your cash flow management, you've actually got it probably harder than, than a service yeah. business. Yeah. Uh, where you know, you might you might scares see, you, doesn't it, Ben? <laughs> it yeah. You might yeah. you might see a hundred grand in profit on the profit and loss statement, but um yeah. but you're not seeing that in, in cash. No, um, mate, not at all. No, our lockup is huge, isn't it? Um, in comparison to other businesses this size. It's a bit scary. Um so um yeah, I mean, you know, most businesses would have some form of debtors, um, but you've got you know, a product business being stock. How how do you go about sort of keeping an eye on not not getting too much stock that you, you sort of all your cash is there, but not not running out of stock? It's really hard, mate. It's really hard, particularly at the moment with COVID and the current shipping into the shipping issues that are going on with containers and the cost of containers and getting supply for imported products or imported raw materials. It's really hard. We're, we're needing to carry a lot more stock of raw materials to be able to get by and not run out. And because customers don't, you know, distributors they don't care. Their customers don't care. They just want the product. Yeah. So we, we, our stock levels are way up. Sorry, mate. I, so um, yeah, guess, no. Yeah, you're trying yeah. to defend against supply issues to, to sell. Yeah, that's right. So we're probably our stocks up twenty five percent or maybe twenty percent, and then you know our, our accounts receivable is pretty good. You know, it's pretty good. It's um, but you know. I know that you guys, not you guys, as in you, Ben, but I know that you know a lot of service businesses, they might have accounts receivable, not a lot of accounts on accounts receivable. They might be just straight cash up front. Uh, and I may not dream about that. Whereas our accounts are mostly 30-day end of month. And so because a lot of them are national and some of them are national accounts where they dictate to you when they're going to pay, our accounts receivable will run at 
you know, if we're doing really well, they're low 50 days. Um, but otherwise, you know, if you let it get a couple of stragglers, it's going to be high 50 days. And that's really tough mm. when you've got a lot of, you know, big turnovers. There's a lot of money tying up at account receivables, but yet most of our raw materials, particularly imported stuff, is cash up front. Mm. So comes back to that conversation about the bank. You know, I can look at a big check come through because a bunch of stuff paid. But, mate, I've got cash. I've got to pay containers that are coming through. I've got, you know, accounts receivable haven't been paid. I've got most of my accounts uh, payable. You know, it's very E to B, uh, you know, you know, 20% of our accounts receivable would be our accounts payable, you know, and, and, and so if that. And so you've got to fund all the rest of that's cash that's out of my pocket, right? And if you've got whatever number of, you know, amount of money in stock, so, and you've got equipment, so you own that equipment, you own the stock and you own the accounts receivable minus your account payable. So that's the lockup. Oh, here I am preaching to an accountant. That's your lockup and that's a ton of money. And, you know, so it's not for the faint of heart going into a big manufacturing sort of business like this where you're selling to distributors as opposed to going to the end user. Yeah. It, and would I do it again? I'm not sure, but, yeah. but it's, it, it's there and, and it's, yeah, it, there's challenges with it, but the rewards can be, you know, you're building a big brand and you're up against the big guys. You know, our competitors are, and customers are people like 3M. You know, they're people like, you know, big names, you know, and the Blackwoods, the Atoms, the RCAs that you see around the place are customers, but also competitors. Mm. And so, and, and national accounts that, yeah, it's, it's just, you, you're playing with the big boys. And, and so, and we're just a, a little business that's just trying hard. And so we've got to punch above our weight. Yeah. So anyway, it, it is, it is tough. I'm not, uh, I'm not complaining, you know, um, you know, I turn up for work every day and give it my all, but it's, uh, it, you know, sometimes I wonder if I shouldn't have been an accountant. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think it's, it's good, good value for the listeners and, and thanks for touching on some of those numbers, but it's pretty clear that you, you do have a handle on them. Um, and and I think that's what sets you apart in a huge way is the the focus you've got on them. Um, you kind of know your you know your break even point or, or where you want to be profit wise uh, each month. And we've had conversations around that. Um, but again, you know, hats off to managing cash flow and a, and a whip uh, where yeah, it, it's just capital intensive. But yeah. I guess on on the good side, it's it's hard for someone to enter the the market. I may not, I don't think anybody could enter the market now as a new player and just buy everything new. It'd just be too hard. You had to have grown with it like a thing. And sorry, that was what I was saying about the bank is realizing that money. I've earned that money over the years through growing and not spending everything that walked in the door. And yeah. so we've been able to get to that point where we have money in the bank and be in a position where we've got that. Now I might not be driving around in a flashy car as much as some people, but we've, we do okay. But the thing is, is that we own all of that. We own all of that background stuff. We own all of those assets. We're in a position where we've got that. And that's come through 20 years of hard work and sacrifice. And it's allowed us to do things like that time we took off to the US for four years and, and, and things like that. Yeah. So, oh yeah. And that's what we're saying about, sorry, um, locations. We're in Brisbane. That's where we manufacture most of the things. We've got a warehouse in Perth. We're about to get one in Melbourne again. We used to be in Singapore and Malaysia, but we pulled back on that when the oil price dropped and we moved into the US. Yeah. And we were doing, uh, trying to expand our business in the US. So I was over there. I actually moved me and the family over there for a bunch of reasons, building our business. But there was actually some personal reasons as well that, that married into it nicely. But, uh, and we lived over there for four years and I would come back six or seven times a year to run the business. And I would work through the night in America to run the business. And then we came back and um, two years ago when we're held 
and just in time before COVID and and here we are making a go of it again and trying to take the thing to the next level. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, impressive story. Uh, and thanks so much for sharing, uh, you know, in not, not only just the, the fun times or the cool stuff, but, but also, yeah, those, those heavy moments. And yeah, I mean, I've yeah, there's probably- plenty, there's plenty of them, mate. You know, like I don't, you don't want to scare people away from getting into this. Mm. If you're passionate about it and you're entrepreneurial, you're going to do it anyway, but it's not going to be smooth sailing all the time. Um, yeah. Otherwise you're going to be one of those internet guys that booms and then busts. It's, it's, it's a slog, but it's a slog that you're going to, you've got to love. And there's going to be some dark and hard times, but there's going to be some great times where you're so proud of your people and the products. And, you know, there's nothing better than when I used to get off the Qantas plane at Brisbane, coming back from America. And as you walk up the gangway and, and you'd be sitting next to Bonnie and they say what you do, and you could walk up that gangway on like gate 88 or whatever it is, and you look down to the fueling station right beside it, you can see through the glass window and there's my spill kits yeah, and I could wow. point to them. And it's a, and it's a pretty cool moment. And I know that's pathetically probably juvenile, but I, you know, it's a big ego moment for me and, and, <laughs> and seeing your product out there in the marketplace or seeing on a truck or hear people talking about it. And, and so that, that, that's inspiring, but there is tough times and I haven't gone through most of them and, and they're generally people related. Um, but it's just, it, it is what it is. And, and you just got to be tough enough to see it through and, um, and get up and take it on the chin and get out there and try again. Yep. And, and constantly learn and grow. Yeah, grow you as a person because the business will only ever be as good as you are. Yep. And you've got to yep. grow as a person for your business to grow. Well, yeah, as I said, thank you so much. I've learned more, more about you uh, today as well. Um, oh, cool. And uh, if, if people want to follow what you're doing, what you're creating, where would they do that? Yeah, the, my, my business life or that secret private life? No, sorry, I'm only <laughs> joking. Um, uh, look, uh, in, <laughs> Envirosmart's on Facebook, so you just look up Envirosmart. Um, and uh, uh, if you want to see stuff like that, and we have uh, fortnightly uh, newsletters that go out with really interesting environmental stuff, if that ticks your, ticks your, your good column, go and have a look at those and get hold of those. You can also subscribe to it on our website and see some of the products we do on a, at Envirosmart. Everything, water's there and truck wash and all those others are there, but go to envirosmart.com.au and sign up for the newsletter and, and you'll see some of the things that we, we do. Awesome. And if you're um, driving around at a petrol station like I was uh, a few months ago, <laughs> on the way back from a long trip and saw the Envirosmart logo on a wheelie bin, uh, send, send that over to Steve because, yeah. He'll, he'll <laughs> <laughs> one of my distributors was driving that track. I forget its name. It's not, you know, it's that one that four-wheel drivers do where they go through the Northern Territory and end up on the northwest of Western Australia and they go, I think, near Argyle Mine or something. Yeah. And there's a service station in the middle there where they all got to get to to get fuel. Yeah. And and one of my distributors was doing this thing as a holiday and he's turned up there and one of my spill kits is sitting there and he just couldn't believe it. He's taken all these photos of it and sent it. He says, I can't get away from you. You're everywhere. Following, <laughs> following around. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. All right. Well, thanks again, mate. And, no worries, uh, mate. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. No worries, mate. Good on you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with today's guest, you can find their contact information in the show notes in the podcast section of our website at inspire.business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support 
for Young Family Small Business Podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Also, do join our Facebook community. You can find that by going to youngfamilysmallbusiness.com. And if you're interested in speaking with an Inspire accountant, head to inspire.business forward slash chat, where you can book a free 20-minute strategy call. And lastly, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, which is the at symbol Ben Walker CA, or one word, or at Inspire underscore accountant. Thanks again, and see you next time.